0: Well, hello and welcome to Hockey Talk on Wayman TV. I'm Steve Fitzsimmons along with Paul Hillier and uh, Jamie Bennett. And this week, um, unfortunately, Andy Clark is under the weather, so he's not able to be with us. But we have a great guest for you lined up tonight, and he's uh, speaking to us via Skype from his car. Talk about a dedicated OHL guy. And this is Matt Sanderson. He is the host of the Own Sound Attack broadcast on Rogers TV and also a writer for the OHL Collective. Good evening, Matt. How are you? Good Steve, how are you? Doing well, man, doing well. Really appreciate your time tonight. Um, well, let's delve right into it. Uh, certainly the Owen Sound attack, were extremely busy at the trade deadline and uh, sold off basically assets that uh, were basically a lot of their best players, but guys that aren't gonna be in the league uh, come the end of this season and, and recouped a lot of uh, futures and, and some good players as well, young players. Um, just maybe take us through the feeling in Owen sound to uh, the moves that were made by the attack.
1: Well, I'll tell you this much right now. Uh, there's a lot better feeling around this team now as opposed to when all of this kind of broke down. Um, when guys like Suzuki and Sean Dursey and Marcus Phillips and, and what have you, those guys are leaving and they're going to um, a new place. It, it was really tough for a lot of attack fans. And I think that there was a lot of people that were questioning GM Dale DeGray and saying, hey, listen, why didn't you go and go for it all this year? And obviously there there were still holes and pieces that they were missing where they really couldn't do that. So at the end of the day, yeah. this was kind of the only option that they had. But I think attack fans now seeing some of these guys, Barrett Curran, Mark Mark Rooley, uh Zach Poirier, Nathan Perr uh, excuse me Andrew Parrot um, these guys are starting to come in and gel on their own and they're looking pretty exciting so uh, I think it's the, the spirits are, are higher here come playoff time.
2: And Matt, uh, where, do you, where do you see the future going now for the Owen Sound attack leading into next year? Uh, are they are they in a rebuild or do you think they're going to be competitive in the upcoming season?
1: Well, I'll say this much. I'm going to say that they're in a retooling situation. And when I mean that, I mean it that they're going to be maybe tweaking things here or there. But it's very promising. And I think in two years' time, they're going to be extremely competitive. I think they're going to be back in maybe the, the, those top four spots in the Western Conference. For next season, I think one of the big things for them is being able to to try and get more scoring. Their D right now is set, and I think that they're going to be very exciting from the back end. I also do believe with uh, two 18-year-old netminders next season, Andrew McLean and Matt Guzda, you can do one of two things. You can either try to trade one guy and see what you can get back for them, or you can ride both of them out, and if they both have good seasons, the goaltending issue is now solved for the own sound attack, but I think there's going to be a lot more teams that are not going to take this this club lightly next season and I I think that they could pull a couple upsets in the playoffs and and really make themselves known for the year after.
3: Matt, of all the pieces that have come in to the attack organization over the past few months or so, is there one in particular that you see as a real potential building block?
1: Yeah, I <laughs> i like the fact of andrew parent coming in i think he's my favorite acquisition he's an overall great guy he's a very well-spoken outspoken young man but the other thing is he plays with grit he's got great offense too and that's what they were kind of lacking in own sound you got a guy back there like mark woolley as well to help out on the grit end of things so that's nice but i really like andrew parrot i do believe that he's going to be a solidified defenseman and he might even be in that top pairing uh the next couple seasons if they can kind of use him as a building block and build around him i think um, he's going to be a, a very special player for them
0: So Matt, certainly they gave up a lot to Guelph, but uh, recouping draft picks, but also uh, Mark Woolley and Barrett Kerwin uh, being thrust into a frontline role with the Sound Attack on their top line has really responded. I mean, he's got 17 points in 22 games, had a hat trick the other day. He looks uh, very comfortable and he's still a very young player.
1: Yeah, Barrett Kerwin is a a, a special guy, in my opinion. And it even goes back to what you guys were saying before, Steve, when we caught up with, with yourself at some of these attack hockey games. And it was the fact that Barrett Kerwin, excuse me, wears his heart on his sleeve. So he has those, he has that dedication factor involved which, that's what attack fans like to see. They like to be able to see that they can rely on a guy like him that kind of brings us back to to uh, a heart and soul guy like Nick Suzuki. Now, Barrett Kerwin has stepped in in a, in a role that he's really making it promising for a lot of attack fans, but even for this organization and this locker room with his presence, especially their next season, I think uh, Barrett Kerwin is going to really open some eyes.
2: And, and now with the playoffs just around the corner in the OHL, uh, the Owen Sound attack currently are sitting sixth. Uh, it looks like a matchup with the Sioux Greyhounds at, uh, if things stayed the same as they are now. Uh, but do you see a, a, favorable, a more favorable matchup for the attack in, with any of the top four, depending on where things finish up?
1: Well, I'll tell you this much. If they uh, they take on Guelph, they certainly might not be as afraid of Guelph as some other teams would be, and that's because they've seen what Nick Suzuki and Sean Dursey and, and Marcus Phillips, what those guys can do. So I think ideally for attack fans, and we actually talked about this on a TAC wrap last night, I think the, the main thing is to try to get that five spot. If they don't, And they have to play a team like the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. The one thing that they have going their way is they've gone toe-to-toe with the Greyhounds the last two times in the playoffs. And they won one series. They lost one series in the last two seasons. So they know the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds team well. It's just a matter of fact of whether they have, if you can compare horses to horses there... It's, it's going to be interesting, I, I'm not sure if Owen Sound will be able to will knock somebody off, but I think whoever they face will definitely give them, uh, give them a scare, whether it's Guelph, whether it's uh, Sault Ste. Marie.
3: Now Matt, uh, I remember watching the Owen Sound attack in, in 2016, the first round when they played the London Knights, of course, who employed the likes of Mitch Marner and Matthew Tuchuk at the time. Um, Is there something to be said about playing a team in the first round, if you do get one of those top-ranked teams, that has so much skill that almost there's a way these young players can learn from it?
1: Yeah, it's weird because sometimes you see it in the regular season. Maybe a team doesn't get up for the games against those, those clubs that are lower than them in the standings, but there's something being said for a team to kind of be an underdog and walk into a building and take a couple games i think that if Owen sound is able to go with a guelph storm team or Sue saint marie i think they can they can nab a couple wins from them and i think that's because they're not afraid of them in that aspect and if you have guys like morgan frost Nick Suzuki, and then you even have Isaac Radcliffe, Nate Schnarr. The list goes on and on of who they could face with those two teams. I feel that they will be able to match up against them a little bit better than maybe some other teams in the Western Conference, due to the fact that they, they come off in, in a little bit of a, a stronger front in the playoffs, Owen Sound. They have a, a weird way of Really surprising some
0: teams. Matt, uh, one of the uh, other things that happened after the trade deadline was um, the addition of uh, Joey Hishon, the Stratford native, for those of you watching in Stratford, um, and former OHL uh, star with the Sound Attack, um, to their coaching staff and his assistant coach. And certainly we know this team has is struggling to score, but I feel like this guy, you know, with his offensive acumen for the game, um, has to be and his background with that connection to the franchise has to be a huge addition there
1: oh he is and we talked i talked two weeks ago on attack rap with nolan seed and uh garrett wilson or uh, griffin wilson excuse me and they both mentioned the fact of how hishin was out on the ice with them in some practices and absolutely just skates through everyone and, and it is literally the best guy out there they love to see that flare from him, that competition. Knowing that there's a guy that was in the organization that won an OHL championship and is now back with that club is a big thing. And I do believe that that's one of the reasons how they're going to kind of maybe flourish in these playoffs is because they have a guy like Joey Hisham behind the bench there in the role that he's playing.
0: The other thing I'd say about Hishin, too, is uh, we all know the unfortunate circumstances of what happened at the Memorial Cup and how it derailed his career for a couple of years. But guys, I mean, this guy was a really special OHL player, a guy who was drafted the first round by the Colorado Avalanche. And I don't think it was a stretch for him to be uh, a, a star player in the National Hockey League. You know, his, his sort of compatriots at that time you know, were players like Ryan O'Reilly, who's a good friend of his. And, and those types of players, and he was in the same class as those guys. And, uh, you know, it's very unfortunate um, how that how that just derailed him. Now, he did play a little bit in the NHL, but but I, I think this guy would have been a star. Paul, you have a question for,
2: for Matt? Um, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm just going to put out a, a generic question now as, as to the, the upcoming playoffs. Uh, like I said, they're probably, what, a couple of weeks away now. Yep. Um, do you have a, a, a team, whether, we, whether it be in the West or the East, that, that you feel is... Not necessarily a lock to to win the OHL championship this year, but do you have one that you feel is strong enough that they should make a really good run?
1: Actually, I I have one in the West and one in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to go with the Saginaw Spirit in the Western Conference, and the reason why I say them is they've had probably one of the best three week, last three weeks that I've seen. In quite some time this is a very poised hockey club a very talented club and I think there's still a lot left to be said for Ivan Positop their young uh, rookie netminder there he has really stepped into his own and I do believe that he is going to be a backbone and a big piece that they're gonna be able to to lean on in the playoffs over in the Eastern Conference I'd like to say the Niagara Ice Dogs but even though I am an Ice Dogs fan due to I grew up in the Niagara region, born and raised, <laughs> I have to go with the Sudbury Wolves as a surprising factor. Listen, uh, Uko Pekka is a, a fantastic goaltender, and there are teams in this league that are, are worried when they have to play against him. Can you imagine an ultimate series with um, maybe a final coming down to i don't know depending where uh, sudbury ranks uh having the ottawa 67s against the sudbury wolves and michael dp squaring off against uh, Lucanin. i think it's a matchup that there's not many teams that are going to be able to capitalize on that he is the difference maker when you saw him go away to world juniors that team was horrible without him. Mm-hmm. So if he's between the pipes there for the entire playoffs, uh, that, that Sudbury team could uh, be
3: a big shocker. Now, I'm going to go back to uh, an observation that Steve made, and he said that Joey Hishin, of course, has joined the coaching staff of the Owen Sound Attack, but I'd like to get your opinion on the dismissal of Todd Gill as the head coach of the Owen Sound Attack. Um Kind of a surprising move to me. I haven't seen the team play really much at all this year. I've just seen sort of the results in the newspaper or online. But um, was this a smart move by the attack? I mean, I know Dale DeGray announced relatively early in the season this was going to be a selling year, as you said, sort of the beginning of a retool. But um, was this a a good move? Has the team improved under uh, new head coach Alan Letang?
1: I will say this. G.M. Dale DeGray isn't the type of guy to just get rid of somebody halfway through a season. He doesn't really do that overly too often. So for him to do that and pull the trigger on Todd Gill, Todd Gill and him were actually good friends too. So the fact of him getting rid of Todd Gill early on or halfway through the season, there must have been something there that they maybe didn't see eye to eye on and uh there was a couple factors that just unfortunately didn't go the way that they wanted them to i like head coach alan letang and one of the big reasons why he has a lot of heart he's got a lot of experience but he knows how to coach a team and i feel that he has he had a, a year behind ryan mcgill when he was there and then a year behind todd gill and now being in his third season, I do believe that he is is well off enough to be able to go and, and take this team in a, in a full-time head coaching role. That's up to management in the offseason, whether that happens or not. But there's been, a kind of, there's been a couple different things that you've maybe seen in there where maybe some of the attack guys have a little bit more of a pep in their step where you're seeing new creative things. One of the big things that he doesn't like to do is he doesn't like to switch up the lines overly too much. He really likes to try to stick with the lines, get the chemistry flowing, and go from there. And that's what some of the players I think are 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 happy about as well. Um, we'll we'll see. I I think so far it's gone pretty good, and there's been some some definitely definitely some confident things. If you're an attack fan on the outside looking in, to see what what he's doing behind the bench.
0: You know, I think you have to have a lot of confidence in, in the things that Dale DeGray has done for the Onsenate Attack franchise, um, being their general manager in the last, whatever it is, 10 years or so, um, just where he's led that franchise. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people know the ins and outs of what exactly happened there, but I have a tremendous amount of uh, respect and confidence in Dale DeGray. I mean, look at one of the things, I mean, he did a lot of things at the trade deadline, but but maybe one of the more underrated things so far... Um, Matt was the pickup of Sergey Popov, who you know was a cast off. He he was a second round pick of the Kingston Frontenacs. He ended up get traded to the London Knights. He did, he didn't really get much opportunity or do a whole lot for them. But this guy's really looked good for the Own Sound attack, and maybe a, a really good reclamation project for only a sixth round pick at the deadline.
1: Yeah, when I was uh, when I was talking to to Dale DeGray about this, I said you got Popov for a sixth round pick. He said honestly it was just throw out a a pick and see what they would want and if they would go for it and he liked Popov's skill he liked the way that he could handle the puck but it was also the fact that he has a he has a pretty nice shot too now the thing is as you mentioned steve they you didn't see much of him in the last couple teams that he's been on because he didn't have much opportunity
0: no, he did not, and in twenty two games he has seven goals for the onside attack. So that puts him, you know, twenty to twenty five goal score.
1: Exactly. And you could you could see him next season maybe on on the I could say even the second line. Like he uh, has a lot of a lot of skill there that I think is still to be tapped into. So we'll see what happens. That was a very nice pickup. I was impressed with that one.
0: You mentioned Andrew Parrott, of course, uh with uh, long time ties to the Owen Sound area. His, his father, Nathan, of course, has been on Hockey Talk, be- joining us before, um, a well known uh, former NHL player and, and an Owen Sound native himself. But, uh, I mean, this guy stepped in, again, limited opportunity, in fairness to him, behind a defense corps with London that had six NHL drafted defensemen. It's pretty hard to find ice time as a 17 year old defenseman behind that. But this guy was a second round pick for the, for the London Knights. And and Matt, I mean, he's stepped in, he's looked very, very poised and solid, nine points in 25 games. And I mean, he stood up to a pretty big guy um, and and absolutely hammered him the other day in a fight um, against Curtis Douglas, who is six foot nine, maybe a little bit of, uh, um, you know, uh, some guidance from dad on, on how to handle those situations, I'm thinking.
1: Well, I talked to him and I actually interviewed him uh, at the last game and I mentioned that to him. And he said that, that dad taught him a couple of things <laughs> or two that if you have somebody that's bigger than you, uh, you try to get it into as close to their body as you can. That way you have a better chance if if it were to come down to that. So he handled himself quite well. But honestly, I think he surprised Curtis Douglas as well I don't think Douglas was even expecting that
2: and and, and we touched on this a few minutes ago Matt about the, uh, the difference makers that could come up in the playoffs we've got Pro- Prozvetov, uh, Pietro and Lukanen. do you have one of those in particular that you think could steal the entire playoffs for their team or, or is there a possibility that they could all make it interesting
1: I think they could all make it interesting. I, I still think Lakonan is uh, the, the one that could definitely steal some some games for his club and could put his club over the top, opposed to some of the other ones. So I'm not knocking any of the other goaltenders in the Ontario Hockey League because Stephen Dillon is probably one of the best goaltenders in the OHL, uh, definitely top three in my opinion. So – you even look at that, There's, they're, they're going to have some stiff competition if they're squaring off in the Eastern Conference. vitov I do feel, is maybe outside of Joseph Raymakers, I feel the next strongest goaltender in the Western Conference there. So I think that he has a very good chance of maybe standing on his head stealing a couple games for the Spirit.
3: Now one thing I'd like to ask is you've been doing this for a couple of years and is there one player that you think is going to make a difference let's maybe take Nick Suzuki out of that conversation because he's been highly touted for much of his career but uh, is there one player that you've watched from this Owen Sound franchise that you think is going to be a difference maker in the NHL? From
1: I think a guy like um, Marcus Phillips is, is actually going to be a very surprising guy and this is coming from a guy that a lot of people didn't even think he was going to make Team Canada he was basically a write off he wasn't even going to make it they are like oh he's there but he'll get cut he never did and he ended up making the team Mark, the nice thing about Marcus Phillips is he is a solid overall defenseman he has a little bit of that offensive flair that you'd like to see He's very strong in his defensive presence. He knows how to knock guys off the puck. He knows how to play in his zone. I feel that Marcus Phillips is an all-around solid defenseman that has a little bit of extra. I like to compare him to a Trent Bork. I think Trent Bork could be very good. The thing is, Marcus Phillips has a lot more offensive uh, flair than Trent Bork. Now, mind you, uh, Bork has, has really stepped things up uh, this season, scoring a couple more goals. But I think it would be it would have to be Marcus Phillips that that it was it was originally with this franchise that came through um, that could definitely turn some heads in the NHL.
3: Now, the one thing I'd just like to add about Trent um, Trent Bork rather is that he could be available to any NHL team before too long as uh, if he's not signed by the end of the limited time this season by the St. Louis Blues, he will be available to all the other teams. Yeah, Yeah,
1: and that's – it's surprising because I I think that a lot of people, they don't really notice how good he is. And you talk to some of these guys on this team, they say that he's got the hardest shot uh, on the entire team. This is going back to when Suzuki and Hancock, those guys were there. He, they all said he's got probably one of the hardest shots on the team, if not the hardest shot. Nobody wants to be in, in front of Trent Forks. It's just he's had bad luck with the puck not going in the net. I think a team that were to pick him up and if he's in the right situation, he could really surprise a lot of people I think uh, Trent Bork is just keep your eye on Trent Bork when, when he gets into the AHL and the NHL because it could be a, a little bit of a different story. there.
0: Last question for you, Matt, because I know you have to go and we really appreciate your time tonight. Um, OHL final. Who do you have in the OHL final? Who do you think goes to the Memorial Cup from the OHL?
1: Oh. Out of all the questions that have been asked me over uh, the last couple of weeks, that hasn't been one of them. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's a tough one. I mean, there's so many permutations of possibilities there.
1: I, you know, I'm going to go with. I want to say, um, as even though I've been I've been giving the high praise to um, the Sudbury Wolves, I think that. The Niagara Ice Dogs are going to be the one team that gets into the final this season. I think coming out of the Western Conference, it's going to be the Saginaw Spirits. Um, and if it is that, indeed, I think the Niagara Ice Dogs get the edge. I think this is finally the year for the Ice Dogs if they square off against the London Knights again in the in the OHL final. I they're they're gonna really be grinding their teeth and trying to make sure that they they get that w i really do believe that uh the niagara ice dogs are the team that go to the memorial cup this year
3: there
0: you heard it from matt sanderson the host of Sound attack broadcast on rogers tv matt really appreciate your time and we'll uh, see you soon i'm sure
1: yeah thanks a lot guys it's been a lot of fun appreciate it thanks Matt.
0: matt sanderson the uh the host of Owen Sound Attack broadcast on Rogers TV. Now, so to take uh, just before we go to break here on on that, um, can you imagine, if he's right, and the Niagara Ice Dogs win the OHL title after being penalized by the OHL with losing two first-round picks and a $250,000 fine for violations going back a number of years in recruiting. <laughs> I, I'm thinking that's the one team maybe the OHL doesn't really want to see win the league title, but you never know.
2: That that would make uh, It'd be awkward. It, it would make it very awkward and make the league look really stupid for doing such a thing. When when they came up and won the title anyway, would, you would have to sit there and think, what if they didn't lose those two picks? How would things have turned out? So it'll, it'll be interesting to see the playoffs look out because – you can see plainly that the top four teams in each conference are, are on paper anyway, right now vastly superior right. to the bottom four. So it, it'll be interesting to see how things work out once playoff time actually comes. When we
0: come back, we'll talk a little bit of more OHL, and we will have a little bit of NHL uh, thrown into the mix as well. You are watching Hockey Talk on Whiteman TV. Welcome back to Hockey Talk on Whiteman TV. I'm Steve Fitzsimmons, along with Paul Hillier and Jamie Bennett. And uh, we appreciate Matt Sanderson, the host of Owen Sound Attack Broadcast on Roger's TV joining us in the first half hour. Guys, um, let's kind of delve into a direction we kind of headed a little bit with Matt um, in terms of what some potential playoff r- matchups and ramifications might be. Um, so why don't we take a look at the Western Conference standings as they stand today, and we can talk about... Uh, know where we see things may be falling and and is there you know any chance of an upset in the making um but when you look at the conference standings of course the london knights in 95 points they're number one um saginaw you know has really really come along as matt was talking about eight one zero and one in their last ten they moved into that second spot and bumped out the sioux greyhounds as the division leader there down to third the guelph storm uh, despite winning seven in a row, um, stay in that fourth spot where they've been for quite some time, and have no real major hope, I think, of getting. Although they do play Saginaw on Friday night, um, when this will be airing, um, whether whether if they won that game, I guess that would get them to within five points. But limited games left, only six left to play. Um, they look like they're locked into that four. Paul, I'll start with you. I mean, when you look at that standings and the potential sort of at the bottom level of the standings um, for playoff teams at the moment, with Erie fighting to get in as well. I mean, do you see a team that could possibly challenge any of the big four there?
2: You know, honestly, I really don't see that this year. I mean, I I said when we were talking to Matt, the top four in each conference look pretty, pretty much heads and tails above the bottom four. But, you know, when you get a team like Erie, if they can sneak into that eighth spot, They've done some things in, in previous years that boggle the mind. And, and sometimes it just takes being, being a certain team and having that history that they can just come along. Now, the London Knights, are, are they're on top. They're the best team in, in the Western Conference, and they're definitely not going to be a pushover. But, you know, it would be funny to see an eighth team take out the first team. I, I mean, I don't know a great deal about Saginaw. But you, you, can't, you can't let the numbers lie. They're having a terrific season. And I really couldn't see either a, an Erie or a Windsor or a Sarnia taking out Sagan all the way they've been playing. Um, a Guelph-Kitchener matchup might be really good for both teams there. But Guelph...
0: It would be fun, I think. That Guelph, two seven ha- Guelph two
2: has uh, kind of dominated Kitchener this year to a certain extent. Well, they and
0: certainly handed them a, a pretty good smackdown last week. But... The, you know A number of weeks be- before that, uh, the Kitchener Rangers uh, sent a message to Guelph at home with a really workmanlike solid win yeah. at the Sleeman Center in Guelph. So, I mean, I, I agree with you. And, of course, a- as people know, I'm the play-by-play voice of the Guelph Storm on Rogers TV and ha- for the last 18 years. But realistically, I mean, I think the Kitchener Rangers would be overmatched there. Yeah. But, you know, could they win a game or two, Jamie? I think maybe they could. But uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be tough, I think, for the bottom teams to really challenge those top four.
3: I think so, and I agree with what Paul said. I just don't see any upsets in at least this side of the league standings. Uh, I really like what I've seen from the additions in the way of the Saginaw Spirit. They've added Owen Tippett from the Mississauga Steelheads and Ryan McLeod also from the Mississauga Steelheads a couple of guys that really stood out when, I've seen, when I have seen saw the Steelheads play. World class players, really. World class players, absolutely, both cool NHL draft picks. And I mean, of course, the one time I saw the Mississauga Steelheads play this year was when Owen Tibbet was suspended. And if, it was against the uh, Sudbury Wolves and Lucanen was away at the World Juniors as well. So um, it was a missed out on a couple of really potentially future solid NHL guys. But um, that's sort of beside the point. I don't think anybody from the bottom half of those standings is going to make a dent in the top half in the first round.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be tough. But uh, you know what? I think for some of those teams as well, Jamie, is um, it's a victory maybe to get into the playoffs. Certainly we saw the sell-off with Windsor, with Michael DiPietro and a number of others to, uh, to, to, to position their franchise for the future, in fairness to them. And I think were, there were moves that needed to be made. But, you know, if they sneak into, if they hang on to that eighth spot or get into seventh, I think it's a victory for them. And I mean, the hard charging and, and fighting with every tooth and nail, Paul, of the Erie Otters. I mean, these guys, you know, they don't have Connor McDade. They, they don't have Dylan Strome. They don't have Alex to break it. But these guys have a lot of heart and soul. For a team that uh, you know, last year was a tough season for them. And one of the guys that's led their resurgence here lately is uh, Gray Bruce Highlander, former Gray Bruce Highlander, Emmett Sproul, who has looked very good for them lately.
2: Yeah, he he has. He's he's come a long way from going from the Gray Bruce Islanders to the Otters. And if I had if I had to pick one out of either conference that w- that would be the one I would have if you can sneak into that eighth spot they might gi- they might give london a scare because they do have quite a rivalry and they have yeah. for many years yeah. both teams are known for for stacking up and going for a playoff run i don't realistically believe it's going to happen this year but that that would be the one i would be most interested in
0: you know when you see how these conferences are both positioned right now and we're going to take a look at the eastern conference and ju- um, if we if producer Adam can just bring that up on screen for, for viewers at home. But, um, you know, there's such a, a wide variance between the top of the conference and the bottom of the conference, the playoff teams on both sides that is there a team, maybe that takes a team lightly and we might see something get, you know, a bit of a scare or maybe even an upset. I think it's probably unlikely, but you know, if a team comes in and thinks they're just going to absolutely wallop one of these playoff teams, even though there many of them are under 500 or close. I mean, I'll tell you, when you look at this Eastern Conference standings in particular, um, Jamie, I mean, the Mississauga Steelheads, despite selling off, as you mentioned, McLeod and Tippett, you know, they are four, zero, and one in their last 10. They've been playing some really solid hockey. Their young players have really shown a maturation process since the, the trade deadline. This team is treading water pretty well. And, I mean, they're 15 points back of the... Oshawa Generals, but maybe if maybe just maybe that's a um, the matchup that could be the most interesting.
3: Absolutely, and this Mississauga Steelheads team is a smart team. They play good hockey. I've seen them for a couple of years, and I don't see any reason why they can't put up a good fight against the Oshawa Generals. And I mean, like the nice thing about the standings that we're seeing this year are, is that there's really only two teams that are really out of it now, and those are the Flint Firebirds and the Kingston Frontenacs. Right. And I mean, if it's Erie that gets in in the west or if it's windsor that holds on to that final spot like anything can happen we've seen in every sports league that there's no team that's too big or too good to fail paul i mean when you look
0: at this conference it's uh at the top you know aside from the uh the ottawa 67s who have led from pretty much the outset of the season and uh, of course made some acquisitions their biggest one being michael di pietro when they almost didn't need him with Cedric Andre, who's played very well for them as he's well. He's played very but, well. But I mean, you never can have enough goaltending, I guess. But um, when you look at the the two, three, four, uh, Sudbury, Niagara, Oshawa, just one point separating the three of them together. I mean, that that is very interesting and tight. Um, Matt, of course, uh, you know he's from the Niagara region and maybe has the Niagara Ice Dogs a little bit in his in his you know his his heart, I think. to... And I'm not arguing with th- that they're <coughs> not legitimate because they are. But, I mean, um, the one team for me over the, on that side that maybe has made a statement is the Sudbury Wolves of late. I mean, Lukanen has been lights out for that team. And he has been, you know, we use the term difference maker. I mean, I don't think you could, you could put a, an exclamation point on Lukanen being a difference maker. He might be the best player in the, t- in the
2: entire league. For, for me, Lucan is the key to that Sudbury Wolves team, and I've, I've watched him since he played juniors before he even came to the OHL, and I always thought he, he was going to be an NHL star at some point in his career, and he still will be. Uh, he is that guy. He's going to be the guy that makes Sudbury go as far as they can. If they can hang on to that number two spot, they're going to be very dangerous. However, with those three teams you said being within one point of each other, if Sudbury drops down to fourth and get a little a bit of a confidence drip. You know, they could they could be an upset team, too, for for a team like Mississauga, who, who, who Jamie said is playing well lately. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next six games, but you're right, Sudbury, with Lucan and playing the way he is, they're, they're going to be a scary team, even for the Ottawa 67s if they meet up. But, I mean, Ottawa has two outstanding goaltenders, and when it comes to playoff time, goaltending is the key so, right well, now, Ottawa has the advantage, but uh, never count Lucan and down.
0: You know what? I mean, Ty Felber, what a year he's had for the Auto 67s. 50-goal scorer, just recently signed as well by the uh, the Dallas Stars. Um, and, and a, a well-earned uh, uh, free agent contract by Ty Feliber as well, who's been extraordinarily good, maybe in the top three players in the, in the Ontario Hockey League this year. Jamie, I mean, when you look at this situation right now, um, if you were going to pick... The OHL final, I won't ask you to pick the winner, but who do you look at in the East and in the West right now? Who do you like?
3: That's a really tough question, and I haven't seen as many OHL games this year as I would have liked to. But uh, I really have to agree with Matt that I really like the, uh, the potential of the Saginaw spirit. Yeah. Um, I'm not, and I hate to say it because I really like the organization, I'm not as high on the Ottawa 67s as a lot of people are. And, I mean, that would be partially because of the game I saw with you in Guelph. Um, when Mikey DiPietro got pulled out of that game and they took a bit of a thrashing from at the hands of the Storm.
0: Yeah.
3: But uh, I'm just not quite as high on that team as some people are. So I like, the, um, of course, the London Knights. I like the Saginaw Spirit. But there's not one team or two teams even that really jump out to me right now as being this is the team that's going to go there like the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds were last year. Right. Paul, who do you like?
2: You know, uh, uh, just looking at what's been going on lately and and things like that, I, I'm I'm honestly looking at Sudbury to come out of the east. I, I have I have that much confidence in what Lucanin can do for one for the one team, because it does come down to goaltending. Uh, and Di Pietro, as good as he is, he has some weaknesses and he can play a bad game or two. And sometimes in the playoffs, that's all it takes. Um, in the West, you know, I'm gonna. Take, take a waiver and I'm going to pick Guelph to go on to the to the finals in this just because of all the additions they've made, a lot of which have been from the Owen Sound attack, but yeah. with those additions, I mean, some of those guys are just beasts out there. Isaac Radcliffe's having a great season and then you, you add in a, a player with a caliber of Nick Suzuki to play on that team too and their defense has looked really good this year With and Samarukov is, is turning into being an animal out there. Yeah. So um, I, I like the way the Guelph plays up front. I don't know if their goaltending is going to be solid enough, but with with what they've got for firepower and the, the size of the team, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Guelph uh, and Sudbury in the finals.
0: You know, you just mentioned uh, the Guelph Storm, of course, and Nate Schnarr is the CHL Player of the Week, actually. Uh, for the Guelph storm, uh, four goals, nine assists for 13 points in four games, guys. And you know what, there could have been three or four players, I mean, Nick Suzuki was right up there. Nick Suzuki, uh, 18 points in his last five games. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens have to be smiling about that. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, people are, are gonna assume that I would pick Guelph in the West and, and I'm not gonna deviate from that, but I will say this much, and, and Paul, you alluded to that. Um, you know, they, they're, as, they're as deep and talented as any team in the league. But it's really going to come down to Anthony Popovich in goal for the Guelph Storm. Anthony Popovich, he's hovered around, you know, a 900 save percentage for most of the year. Um, And typically that's not a level that's going to get it done to win the OHL championship. But they do have extraordinary strong firepower up front. A guy you didn't mention, Mackenzie Enwistle, that they acquired, you know, was the captain of the Hamilton Bulldogs, was on Team Canada as well. He's also been a point of game guy since coming to to the Guelph Storm as well. Um, you know they're deep they're talented uh, their defense core is ridiculous and uh, you know that's in, that's including the surge- uh Dmitri Samirukov who if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan let me tell you guys that's a horrible defense core we know that but Dmitri Samarukov is on the way and he is going to bring something to your defense core probably as early as next year I can promise you that you're going to love this guy he's a heck of a player so yeah I'm going to take Guelph in, in the in the West. With the caveat that it, it's up to Anthony Popovich to deliver a decent level of goaltending to get them there, because you, you you just can't hide in the playoffs from that.
2: Yeah, when you get to when you get to the point too where if Ottawa or Ottawa, if Guelph can score five or six goals a game, a a nine hundred save percentage is plenty to to win games then at that point. If they can
0: play that style in the playoffs and, right. and, and you know, score those types of you know, it's obviously more tight checking the playoffs. But so Guelph in the West, um, you know what, I'm gonna go um, against both of you guys on this. And I think I've seen enough of the Ottawa 67s. They've rounded into form recently. I mean, as you mentioned, Jamie, we watched them get thrashed by the Guelph Storm. I think it was 10-4 or 11-4, whatever yeah, it was that day. Serious. Yeah, it was a, yeah. a, a, a total beatdown. But they've stabilized. Um, I think they went through a situation where they didn't have a lot to play for for a while, where they were so far out in front of everybody else, it's hard to kind of stay motivated to to play at your peak level at all times realizing that uh, the real season is the, is the playoffs. And so I, for that reason, uh, you know, I, I felt like they played a lot better hockey of late. Um, so I think it's Ottawa and Guelph in the final is, is my take on it.
3: Now, Steve, I'd like to ask you about a player that's sometimes a little bit forgotten in the acquisitions Guelph made this year. Yeah. And that's Zachary Roberts. Right. So Zach Roberts, I mean, he's a guy with the onset attack that was very
0: injury prone. He, uh, you know, he didn't play a lot of games this year. He didn't play a lot of games last year. Uh, for some nagging and, and difficult injuries but he's come into Guelph and you know he's played it what I would call a depth role forward uh, he's a good defensive guy he's a hard-nosed guy to play against I mean he's got some sandpaper to his game he's a guy it- that you ha- there's a lot to like about him in a third and fourth line role where he's going to make life difficult for you and make you earn every inch of ice time out there with the puck. Um, You know, I've really liked him. I think he was an underrated acquisition because, I mean, when you look at that trade, you know, a lot of people say, well, he's a throw-in to the situation. But he brings something to the table that I think has been valuable for the Guelph Storm. You know, he's not Nick Suzuki, but he doesn't have to be to play on that third and fourth line, be a good defensive player, and also bring that hard-nosed play that you need in those depth forwards. And, you know, he's been a, a, a nice acquisition in that way. That, uh, that that I like and, and has filled out uh, you know the bottom end of that roster nicely to to bring an element that they were missing. So guys, the other thing we want to talk about tonight is um, the, you know we've seen last week, uh, a situation where the Kingston Frontenacs and the Flint Firebirds are f- I don't know if we want to say fighting for that first overall pick if you will they're in second last and last <coughs> in the in the in the league for points and of course. If you finish in last, you get the first overall pick in the OHL draft. And, uh, and uh, they played each other last week, and it was a, a case I felt to some degree that nobody really wanted to win that game, and it was a 3-2 final. The Flint Firebirds won. But at the end of the day, I wonder if the OHL shouldn't finally address the situation of actually having an OHL draft lottery. In the Eastern Conference and Western Conference, there's 10 teams each. Eight of them make the playoffs. What if we put in the four teams that don't make the playoffs into a lottery? And so if you finish last, you'd be guaranteed, you know, at least the fourth overall pick, but you wouldn't be guaranteed the first overall pick. And I think it would lead to maybe a little more competition down the stretch of maybe trying to win games if you're one of those bottom teams, because it doesn't have the same sort of ramifications on you that if you finish last, you get that first overall pick. I just felt like there may be, you know, for some some competitive reasons, that it might be a good thing. I mean, Paul, what would your take be on that situation?
2: I, I'm all for it. Uh, I don't. I don't like to see any teams do things on purpose. When you're when you're leading, when you're into the OHL now, you're looking at a professional career, and you have to start thinking as an adult, which most of, of these young men are now, and you have to start thinking. Uh, I have to play to win every game, whether you're on. A perfectly great team or a terrible team, you have to try, uh, and and, it, and I, I don't, I won't say that they are trying to. And get I'm not that suggesting first spot that either. Yeah, but
0: I'm not suggesting that either team was tanking that game, yeah. but it just had a feel to it of, you know, who really wants to win that game yeah. in that situation. And
2: and, and d- by doing this, even putting four teams in a lottery, and I mean you obviously weighed it so that the, the worst team has the best chances, like they do in the NHL. Right. And that would, that would at least try to get the teams to not want to finish dead last. They would want to at least push to try and get into that eighth and final playoff spot and at least have a round in the playoffs. Right. Because as important as it is to keep building your team and maybe that first pick in the next season is what you want to do, giving these young kids a chance during their last years as a non-professional to get into the playoffs and have some playoff experience is just as important to their development.
0: Jamie, I mean, how do you view that idea?
3: I agree with Paul, and um, my question was going to be, then do you weight the teams in order in which they finish? You certainly could. Um, and, I mean, like another option would be give them all equal weight. Yeah, you could do that too. Because that really discourages any sort of tanking. You're not even getting the best chance at right. getting that top pick. Um, and, I mean, like like you stated when we were off air, there's only four teams that don't make the playoffs in the OHL. Right. So, I mean, it might hurt a team like the... For example, the Flint Firebirds, who have struggled for a few years and really need that young talent to come in. But, um, I mean, there's still going to be some talented guys available, even at number four. So, I mean, it's certainly a a, a, a rule change that I would be in support of. Right.
0: So another thing, of course, uh, as we get to the end of the OHL season, um, they have all of the awards for the different players. And the one I wanted your take on, guys, is the Red Tilson Award, which is given to the most outstanding player in the Ontario Hockey League, and we have a, a treasure trove of successful uh, players that have gone on to 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 be extremely good NHL players. Connor McDavid has won that award. Um, Mitch Marner's won that award, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera, John Tavares. So, you know, when we look at this league this year, I mean, Paul, do you see, who do you see as that as that award winner?
2: Well, I'm I should be I should be people should be tired of me here saying his name on this on this show, but uh for me it's Lucan and for Sudbury. The goaltender, yeah. He has been anything exceptional that you want in a goaltender all year uh Sudbury is where they is for many reasons, but the most being Lucan and himself. He has stood on his head. He's got the most wins in the league right now at 34, 918 save percentage. You can't ask for a goaltender to do much better than that. And to me, he he is the most outstanding player in the OHL this year. But he does have some competition.
0: He does. Let me beg to differ with you a little bit. And that's uh, the fun of the show. But um, for me, and I'm actually a voter, it's voted on by the OHL's broadcasters, the uh, Red Tilson Award for Most Outstanding Player. Uh, for me, uh, Morgan Frost of the Sioux Greyhounds, uh, he's, is the uh, Red Tilson Award winner, and I, and you know, assuming things finish up the way they are right now, he would be my he'll be first on my ballot for that. And and I'll be honest, Lucan will be on my ballot for sure. But uh, Morgan Frost, 55 games right now, he has 107 points, including 37 goals. He's a plus 32. This is a guy. When he went to the World Juniors, the Sioux Greyhounds really, really struggled without him, because. He is the straw that stirs the drink on that hockey team. He's an elite player. This guy, I mean, was drafted in the fourth round of the OHL draft, if you can believe it, and has turned out to be the best player in the league or certainly arguable as one of the best, a first-round pick of the Philadelphia Flyers. They must be pretty thrilled with what they've seen from Morgan Frost this year. And it's just, he was extremely good last year, uh, uh, an elite player in the OHL, and he's just elevated his game to another level, in my mind, this year, where he has been a significant difference maker for the Sioux Greyhounds so for those reasons Morgan Frost is my uh, award winner Jamie who do you like
3: well um, I agree with both of you really but I'm gonna I'm gonna side with Paul I think Lukanen is the best player in the in the league right now Um, and that's no disrespect to Morgan Frost he's had an excellent season And I know that some people questioned it when he was drafted as early as he was by the Philadelphia Flyers. And he's gone and he proved them wrong so far. Makes them look pretty smart, isn't he? Exactly, he has. And I mean, like, I'm still not a fan of them dispatching Ron Haxtell regardless, but um, it's, uh, I I have to think it's going to be Lukonen because... He's basically carried that team, and like Paul said, he's going to be a star goaltender in the National Hockey League.
0: If you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan out there, and I know there's, uh, you've been fairly long-suffering to some degree, um, Morgan Frost is going to be a star for the, the, the Philadelphia Flyers, and I can tell you their second-round pick in that draft, a guy I know well, Isaac Radcliffe, is going to score a lot of goals in the, uh, the uh, colours of the Philadelphia Flyers in the very near future, I believe. Uh, probably not next year but maybe the year after for Isaac Radcliffe Uh, he has just been on a tear but you know what this is an elite power forward guy Um, and you know for a six-foot-six man this guy can skate too Mm -hmm. like he's not one of those guys that's a slow and plodding forward you know he's came into the league with great mobility and he's continued to impress that way Um, but he's just found a whole new gear this year Um, so Philadelphia Flyers fans I know you've been long-suffering and you know what Ron Hextel uh, I didn't agree with him being fired either, but he's left you with a treasure trove of young prospects that are going to help you guys for the years to come, including Carter Hart, who's helping you now.
2: And, and see, I'm probably the one guy that thought it was time for Hextall to go because the Philadelphia Flyers, I mean, this, this Hextall w- w- was an elite goaltender for many years in the league. He did have his own style, of course, but yeah. he, was, he was different, and, but he was a great goaltender. As a GM, as a former great goaltender, Philadelphia has had no great goaltenders since Hextall. And you'd think as a, as a GM who was a goaltender, you would know that, that were, that's an important building block for your team. And they brought in goaltender after goaltender who, who flopped in Philadelphia, and they've done nothing to fill the cupboards there until well, Carter Hart will come along, and, and you it's know just too late.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to question uh, the fact that Ron Hextall um, believed that maybe Carter Hart needed a year in the American Hockey League to extraordinarily well succeed down there before bringing him up. He's only a 20-year-old young guy. Now, he has come up and succeeded, and I'm not gonna argue that case, but you know what, there's a case to be made for um, over ripening a guy. In this case, he was ready, but I don't think you can really throw shade at Ron Hextel, especially given his, his history himself as an NHL goaltender, to say that, um, you know, Carter Hart, um, should have maybe been in the AHL all year, he's proven that he was ready. But mm-hmm. how many are there that are ready um, and and that get the call and come up and get shelled? You know, maybe he was being a little overprotective of him. But I think I like that better than rushing guys to the NHL and being wrong about them being ready. Um, Hextel, you know what, in fairness, I mean, he has, he has not looked great on that aspect of Carter Hart being extremely good. But you know what, he did draft him and believe in him. And from for that, I think you have to give him a lot of credit as well, Jamie.
3: You do. And, I mean, I think that the reason that this is sort of highlighted is like what what Paul said in that it's this has been a revolving door of goalies for this Philadelphia Flyers team. And, I mean, like they brought in Ilya Brizgalov years ago. Right. Um, you know, he was supposed to be the solution. He wasn't. Um, you know, Brian Elliott was supposed to be the solution. He wasn't. Anthony Stolars was the goalie of the future. He wasn't it was just, it was difficult. And to know we've got this guy who's going to be exceptional in the National Hockey League, but maybe not now, is really hard for fans to take. Like, I mean, I'm thinking about William Nylander when he was playing for the Toronto Marlies. And I mean, like, this is a team that was really struggling. They knew they had this guy, but he wasn't playing for them. And that's pretty hard to deal with. So, I mean, I really like the way that Ron Hextall managed the Philadelphia Flyers. And I also want to ade- uh, mention one of his other additions when he was ha- manning the team, and that was the league's most famous mascot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, certainly, you know what? He,
0: he, he has the largest Twitter follower of all mascots, I think, I in would, the National Hockey League.
2: Just for doing that <laughs> by itself.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know what? He, uh, good luck to Ron Hextel. And I, I think you're going to see him. Uh, I think he has to be a candidate for the Edmonton Oilers GM job as well.
2: I would, hope, I, uh, I
0: would think he should be.
2: You know, I, I, I like I said, I, I thought Hextall's time in Philadelphia was up, and he needed to go there. But that's not saying that I don't think he was a great GM. He did have his points, and Edmonton is is a team almost in as bad a shape as the Ottawa Senators are, right. and they need something to shake them up, and a guy like Hextall would be an listen, ideal fit for that team. Listen, right I now. can
0: tell you one thing about Ron, Ron Hextall is he's extremely good talent evaluator, and let's be honest about the Edmonton Oilers. Aside from the obvious ones, I mean, you can't screw up on Connor McDavid drafting him. But, you know, they haven't been great talent evaluators. They have a a culture in that organization, it seems, of an old guard that refuses to get out of the way and and let competent people make decisions. Because in my view, um, you know, and I have no real insight into it, you know, I'm not on the inside of the Edmonton Oilers hierarchy, but... Peter Chiarelli was not this stupid as he looked as the Edmonton Oilers GM. You know, he led the Boston Bruins to a Stanley cup and he built that team himself with some help from some great people, including Don Sweeney. But I mean, he did some pretty awful things in terms of trades with the Edmonton Oilers. And I really believe that there was some help from up on high that were telling him and whispering in his ear that this is what we want you to do. You're our GM and that's what we want. And I think, History has shown in the last ten years with the Edmonton Oilers that that's been the situation, and it probably continues to be. And unless you can come in and get that autonomy that you need to be Ron Hextel and you know evaluate talent the way you need to, um, that's a, that's not going to be a winning situation for anyone, Paul.
2: Yeah, and t- and you, and Taylor Hall's got to come to mind when you when you first think of a bad trade. Oh, uh, you know that that was the ultimate bad trade that happened there, and it's it's just something that. They've done too consistently over the last few years, and it's cost them. Now, they have Connor McDavid, and they have Leon Dreisaitl, who to me is a little overpaid, but he is a talented player yep. for absolute certain. And I like Darnell Nurse on the back yep. end, but other than that, I don't see anything else on that team that I, I think is going to be their big future. Jamie?
3: Yeah, it's it's hard to say what direction the Edmonton Oilers should take now. Because this is what I would call a broken team, and I mean, like they've got some exceptional talent on their roster, and in the future with guys like Evan Bouchard in the in the pipeline, and Sam
0: Marukov as well, and and Sam Marukov, those guys are going to help be the backbone of their defense. But you know, are they a couple years away from making any kind of like a significant impact? You know, they might play for them next year. I wouldn't be surprised if both do just given the dearth of quality defensemen on that defense core and the unlikelihood of them being able to attract a decent free agent defenseman because of their situation.
3: Well, it's, it's true. And like, I mean, I like what I've seen from Keith Gretzky and the intern. Right. And I don't know if they see him as a long-term solution. Um, I do think Ron Hextall would be an excellent fit in Edmonton. Um, but this is a team that needs a bit of an overhaul. And I don't know if, if, I'm Keith Gretzky, I don't think I'm willing to make this deal, and I think if I'm a new general manager coming in, I'm a little bit afraid to make this deal. But if a team comes up to you with an offer you can't necessarily refuse for somebody like Seidel or even McDavid, do you have to consider that? Wow. Well, I mean,
0: that franchise traded hockey's greatest player ever, so <laughs> I'm not saying that they would trade Connor McDavid. Um, maybe they would have to consider Leandre Seidel, given their situation, and 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 they have so many areas of need, which is challenging part about it. And you know, with the salary cap situation, you, you really can ill afford to have two guys take up so much room on your cap, and that's
3: the difficulty of balancing that as well, uh, Jamie. It's, it's true. And I mean, we've seen the flip side of that in Pittsburgh, and three Stanley Caps each for Malcolm and, Cros- and Crosby. But uh, yeah, I think it's something the Edmonton Oilers have to explore. And I don't know, maybe there's some, some sort of a fit with the Montreal Canadiens who w- might want to bring in the big forward-scoring Leon Dreads title, maybe they could send somebody like Carey Price the other way. Who knows? It's just speculative.
0: Well, it's fun to talk about it for sure. We'll have to see how it all develops. Coming up next week on our show, we have Mike Karafelidis, the uh, colour voice of the Sudbury Wolves radio coverage. And this is a special treat. He's actually going to join us in studio and make the drive to Hanover. Um, he's a good friend of mine, and he's decided to come up for a visit and uh, join us next week right here on Hockey Talk. So we'll look forward to that, and we'll get a little more f- information on uh, Uka Pekka Lukkanen up close with the uh, color voice of the Sudbury Wolves. So that's it for Hockey Talk for this week. For Paul and Jamie, I'm Steve Simmons, and we'll see you right here next week on Hockey Talk.